Wow, it's so good to have all of you here this morning. Um, we just had a, we've, this is our third service. We've got two more to go, but we are so thrilled to be here with you this morning. You know, a little more than two years ago, a family in our church, Desmond and Irene Tamaki, the Tamakis, adopted a seven-year-old German shepherd mix. They named her Wiley Coyote because, they, because she reminded them of Wiley Coyote, the cartoon character. Wiley really is the daughter that Irene never had. She dresses her up like all doting mothers dress up their daughters, even on holidays. Last month, she ran the LA Marathon and has a medal to show, it, show for it. She goes wherever the Tamakis go, d- does whatever they do. She even voted in the last election. She is, for all of you Republicans, she is a Republican. For all of you Democrats, she is a Democrat. I don't think there's any question about it. Wiley is the coolest pup on the planet. Now, what you need to know about Wiley Coyote is that she's not a coyote, and she's not just a dog. She is a Tamaki. She is family. Well, last year, Irene noticed that one of Wiley's lymph nodes was a bit swollen, so she took her in the vet to get it checked out, and all the tests came back kind of inconclusive. Well, in January, she took her back again, and this time they ran a, did a CT scan, and it revealed a six-inch mass along the side of her neck. Oncologists believed that it was low-grade lymphoma and recommended surgery to have it removed before it continued to grow any larger. So last month, about a month ago, Wiley went in for surgery, and I'm happy to report that it was a success. They were able to remove the entire mass. Now it was a waiting game to see whether or not the mass was malignant. And there were three possibilities. Number one, it could be benign, which is what they were really hoping and praying for. Second, it could be low-grade lymphoma, which wouldn't be too bad. And third, the worst case scenario would be that it would be high-grade lymphoma. Well, 10 days later, they got back the results, and it wasn't good. Wiley has high-grade lymphoma. Statistically, that means without treatment, she's got about one to two months to live. But with treatment, she has an 80 to 90% chance that the cancer can go into remission. Unfortunately, the cancer hadn't spread, and so Desmond and Irene elected to go with the treatment option. And two weeks ago, Wiley started on a six-month, six-month chemotherapy regimen, which you can imagine is going to cost them an arm and a leg. But it's accurate to say that the prognosis for Wiley is very uncertain. They just don't know how this is going to turn out. In many ways, Wiley's life kind of mirrors our own, and that is life is very uncertain. We all face uncertain futures. We have no idea what the future holds, what tomorrow will bring. That's just the way it is. Maybe you suspect that your child is on the autism spectrum, and you wonder about your child's future and what's going to happen. Maybe you're, one of, you're the only one left of out of all your friends who's not married, and you wonder what's going to happen with your future. Maybe you're a teenager, and your parents are going through a divorce, and you're wondering who you're going to live with, and you wonder about your future. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction, or your mom and dad was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and you wonder about their future and how you're going to care for them. Maybe you don't have enough money to retire on, or you're 55 years old, and you just lost your job, or you just lost a loved one, and you wonder about the future and how you're going to make it. Life is full of uncertainties, and that's why I love Easter. That's why I love Easter, because Easter gave us the one thing that the world needs so desperately of, and that's hope. Here's how one of Jesus' followers, the Apostle Peter, described Easter 
about two months after it occurred. If you, brought your, if you open up your Baywatch inside, we have a sheet in there, and the verses are listed there for you. But I want to take a look at Acts chapter 2. You can also look at your own Bible, look at the screen, or open up our ad. As little Lucy said, we've got an app, and you can take a look at that as well. But here's what Peter said about two months after Easter, the resurrection occurred. He said this, men of Israel, he was speaking to the Jews, men of Israel, listen to these words. And here were the words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and signs and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know yourself. In other words, he did these miracles and you saw it with your own eyes. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This is Easter. Peter summed it up. This is Easter. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, sent his son to planet Earth. God came to Earth as a man, and he lived a sinless life. And during his ministry, Jesus declared that he was the son of God. He performed miracle after miracle to prove it. And then Jesus' own people didn't like it. And so they handed him over, the Jews handed him over to the Roman government to be crucified for claiming that he was deity. And on that fateful day, after a brief trial, Jesus was beaten. He was tortured. We learned last week that he was beaten beyond human recognition. And then his hands and his feet, feet were nailed to a cross. Several hours later, he was dead. And the Jews were happy. They thought they had crucified him for blasphemy. But what they didn't realize was that God had a plan all along, that he allowed his son, his perfect and sinless son, to be crucified for our sins. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. Well, after, they, after he died, they took his body off the, off the cross, they removed the nails, took the body, and according to human custom, his body was washed, it was wrapped, and then it was laid in the tomb, and that tomb was sealed with a huge boulder. But he didn't stay dead like everyone else who has ever died. He didn't stay dead because three days later, God raised him from the dead. And then for the next 40 days, he appeared to all his disciples to show them that he had, in fact, risen. This is Easter. This is what it's all about. And this is the event that Peter spoke of in Acts chapter 2 that gives rise to hope, the hope that we have. Now, fast forward to roughly 64 AD. That would be about 30 years after the resurrection, about 30 years forward to 64 AD. The number of Christ followers has increased exponentially to perhaps tens of thousands. Many came to believe. They saw him. They saw the resurrected Christ. They told others of the resurrected Christ. Many came to believe. Nero was the emperor of Rome in 64 AD. He was a crazy man. On July the 19th, in the, in the year 64 AD, a fire broke out at Circus Maximus, which was the chariot racing stadium there in Rome. The inferno raged on for nearly a week. It burned down two-thirds of the city. Ancient historians blamed Nero for starting the fire. Nero blamed Christians for starting the fire, and, and Nero went crazy. He went berserk. He went ballistic, went on a rampage, went after Christians tried to kill Christians, would gather Christians together, would feed them, to the, feed them to wild animals. He had them crucified. And then he would even light them on fire to light his garden up. To avoid persecution, Christians fled all throughout from Rome. They fled all throughout the Mediterranean world, fleeing for their lives, going into hiding, wondering how they would survive. Their life was full of uncertainties. 
It was these believers that the apostle Peter, the same guy who preached in Acts chapter 2 and said that this was the, this was the, this was the resurrection, he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to all those who had scattered. And the thrust of his message was this, there is hope. There is hope in the midst of uncertainty. And you know, we need hope. It was a good message because we need hope. But the problem is many people look to the wrong places for hope. We look to the wrong places. For example, how many of you have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. All right, a bunch of y'all, a bunch of you have iPhones. That's too bad. I have a Samsung Galaxy. Samsung Galaxies are way better, right? They're way better than, than iPhones. But in the fall of 2003, this man right here, Stephen Jobs, the man who created the iPhone, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I mean, he rose to the pinnacle of success. He was a billionaire. He had more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime. He had the best health care money could buy. But, the, but all that success and all that money couldn't save him from cancer. And he died in 2011 at the age of only 56. See, success and money can't give you hope. In fact, nothing in this world can give you hope. No money, no fame, success, education, a house, your kids, not even your friends can give you the hope that you need in this world. Nothing can give you that hope. Now take a look at what Peter had to say about hope to those who are running away from Nero, running for their lives. They had no hope. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you have a pen, there's one in front of you. If you're sitting in the front row, there's one behind you. Grab a pen and circle the words living hope in verse 3. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. In the midst of hard times and uncertainty, Peter told the church that they had a living hope. Their hope was not a dead hope. Their hope was not a false hope like money and success and fame and popularity and friends, but they had a living hope. And Peter spelled out the three reasons why their hope was alive. And the first reason was because of mercy, because of God's mercy. You can write that down. We have hope because of God's mercy. You know, when I was 19 years old, I was in a minor car accident. I just started driving. And I was in a minor car accident. I was at, at the bank in Monterey Park. And as I was pulling out of the parking stall, I turned my wheel a little bit too hard. And I hit the car that was beside me. And it, was, it, was an, it wasn't just a ding. It was quite a dent. So I got out of the car to take a look at it. it was, the dent had to be quite about that deep. And so I looked around to see if anybody saw that I hit the car. And when it appeared that nobody saw what I did, I got back in the car and I left. Well, that afternoon I was running some errands and some business and I had to uh, go to an insurance company, not my insurance company, but I went to this random insurance company uh, because I needed to, wanted to talk to somebody there about some fundraising things. And I walked in, and there was a guy sitting at the front desk. And I, I went up to him, and I said, Hi, my name is Gary Shiohama. He said, What? He said, What's your name? I said, Yeah, my name is Gary Shiohama. He said, Gary Shiohama? He, were you in Monterey Park this morning? Uh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't remember where I was at this morning. Were you? Were you at a bank this morning in Monterey Park? You were, weren't you? Because you hit my client's car and you took, you took off. You fled the scene. You see, I know that because 
I'm the insurance agent that represents the guy whose car you hit because somebody saw you, wrote down your license plate, and reported it. And do you realize I can call the police right now and have you arrested for fleeing the scene of an accident? And I was just flabbergasted. I, I, I didn't know what to say. And he said, you know, he says, you're lucky, young man, because I'm not going to call the police. I'm going to call your dad. And I said, oh, please call the police instead. <laughs> please call the police instead. And he called, it, he called my dad, all right. He called my dad, and, and that home, when I, when I got home, I was, I was terrified. I thought it was the end of my life. I thought he would ground me until I was 40 years old. I, I thought it was all over. I thought he was going to give me a tongue lashing. I thought he was going to let me have it. And if you know my dad, he can be a little bit hot-tempered. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't go ballistic on me. He, he didn't yell at me. He didn't raise his voice. He didn't say, he didn't punish me. He didn't ground me. The only thing he said was, you know, you're going to have to pay for those damages, don't you? And I said, yeah, I know. And that was it. You see, he showed me mercy. You see, mercy is when you aren't punished for the wrong things that you do. Peter said that the people had hope because of God's great mercy. They were all sinners. They had all messed up. But somewhere along the way, they had acknowledged their sins to God and asked him for mercy, and he freely gave it to them. You see, God is merciful. And that's why we have hope. You have hope because no matter how bad you've messed up your life, God is merciful, and he will be merciful to you if you ask him to be. We'd be so in, in such big trouble if God wasn't merciful, amen? We'd be in big trouble. Second reason Peter said we have hope is because we have been born again. He said we have been born again, verse 3 says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You can write that down. I have hope because I've been born again. Circle born again. You know, that term born again comes from a story in, in the Gospel of John when Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is, a, is one of the rulers of the Jews, a religious leader. And he's having this conversation. Here's what Jesus said to him. He said in verse 3, John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. You can circle that again, born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, this threw Nicodemus for a loop. How, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to be born again? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb and come out again? How? This is ridiculous. How is this supposed to happen? Well, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. He wasn't speaking to him about a physical rebirth. He was speaking to him about a spiritual rebirth. He was saying you can be spiritually reborn. And when you're spiritually reborn, when you come out the second time, when you're born the second time spiritually, you're not the same person. You're a, you're a new person. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, put it up here for you. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. I mean, this verse really sums up what it means to be a Christian. And that is you are a new creation. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. You are born again. You are a brand new person. And that gave them hope, and that ought to give us hope. It ought to give you hope that you can be a brand new person. You know, David Platt, Pastor David Platt is one of my favorite pastors, wrote a book called Follow Me. And in the book, he cited a poll 
which said that according to the poll, one half of all Americans identify themselves as being born-again Christians. We think, wow, that's uh, one half of all America. That's what, 100 and, well, 150 million Americans identify themselves as being born-again Christians. That's good, but here's the problem. That same poll found that the beliefs and lifestyles of many of these so-called born-again Christians was virtually indistinguishable from the rest of the population. In other words, those who call themselves born-again Christians don't live like it. They're indistinguishable from the rest of the population. They cuss like everyone else says. They party like everyone else says. They drink like everyone else says. They carouse like everyone else, else does. They sleep around like everyone else says. They gossip like everyone else does. They lie, cheat, and steal like everyone else does. The poll found that, effect, that there's effectively no difference between someone who follows Jesus Christ, who says they're born again, and someone who doesn't. In fact, David Platt goes on to tell this story, and I'll put it up here for you. He said, imagine you and I set up a meeting to have lunch at a restaurant. You arrive there before I do. You wait and you wait and you wait, but 30 minutes go by later, and I still haven't arrived. When I finally show up completely out of breath, I'm so sorry, I'm late. When I was driving over here, my car had a flat tire. I pulled over the side of the interstate to fix it, and when I was fixing it, I actually stepped into the road and a Mack truck going 70 miles an hour suddenly hit me head on. It hurt, but I picked myself up, finished putting the spare tire on the, spare tire on the car and drove out here. Now, if someone told you that story, you wouldn't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that they were lying right through their teeth. Because if you're hit by a Mack truck going 70 miles an hour, it would drastically alter the way you look. Well, in the same way, if you've had a personal encounter with a living God, if you have received Jesus' mercy and forgiveness and all of your sins have been washed away and you have been born again, it can't help but alter the way you live and look. But the sad reality is some people look the same after. The before and after pictures are exactly the same, which led David Platt to conclude this. And I'll put his quote up here for you. He said, people who claim to be Christians while their lives look no different from the rest of the world are clearly not Christians. Wow. So if you know somebody who says they're a Christian, but they don't live like it, they're probably not Christians. Pretty, pretty serious indictment here. And he's right. This is not about being perfect, because no one's perfect. But there must be a fundamental transformation in our attitudes and in our actions if we are truly born again. There must be. And we fail every day. I fail every day. And we keep picking up ourselves, and we just keep going, and we keep trying. So, are you born again Christian? If so, make every effort to live like it. Now, this is U.S. Army First Lieutenant Todd Weaver and his nine-month-old daughter, Kylie. Todd was killed in September 2010 by an IED in Kandahar, Afghanistan. He was only 26 years old. Two days after his funeral, Todd's widow, Emma, opened up the laptop that he used on his deployment and found a, a secret file. It wasn't to be opened until he died, and he died, and so she opened it up, and there were, there were two letters in that file. One was written to Emma, and one was written to his daughter, Kylie. 
and just his thoughts about not returning. And, and I wanted to read just a few excerpts from the letter that he wrote to his daughter. And he wrote this, Dear Kylie, my sweetie, although you may not remember me, I want you to know how very much your daddy loves you. I left for Afghanistan when you were nine months old. Leaving you was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. You are so very special to me, sweetie. You are truly a gift from God. The best day of my life was the day you were born. I'm so sorry I will not be able to see you grow up. But remember, your daddy is not gone. I am in heaven, now smiling down on you every day. Always remember to say your prayers at night and be thankful for all, the many bless all your many blessings. Never forget how important and special you are to so many people. We love you so very much. Always be nice and caring to others and you will discover that the world will be nice to you. But when things aren't going your way, never forget that God knows what is best for you and will work everything out in the end. You have such a bright and beautiful future ahead of you. Have fun, enjoy it, and remember your daddy will always be proud of you and will always love you. You, you are and will always be my sweetie. With very much love, your daddy. Todd knew that if the unthinkable happened, he would be okay because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He knew that if he died, he wouldn't really die, but he would keep on living. He would go on, keep on living in heaven. You see, and that's the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And that is that God created you to live forever. He created us to live forever in a place called heaven. And it was all made possible because of Easter, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said to Martha after she lost her brother. Take a look at this, John 11 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? These may be the most profound and the most significant and the most weighty words ever spoken by anyone who has ever existed. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. First, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Why did he say this? He said it because he was raised from the dead. He is the resurrection. He was raised from the dead. And then Jesus said, whoever believes in me, in other words, whoever believes that, he was the son, who believes that he's the son of God, that he was raised from the dead, whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Now, are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? How is that possible? How can you die yet live? If you die, you're dead. But Jesus said that if you believe in me, even though you die, yet shall you live. How is that possible? Let me answer it by asking you another question. And the question is this. Have you ever wondered what happens to you after you die? Ever wondered what happens to you after you die? Let me tell you what happens after you die. I'm a pastor, so I know these things, right? It comes from the scriptures. If you are a genuine Christ follower, not just one in name only, not just one who says, oh yeah, I'm a born-again Christian, but you don't live like it. Uh, if you are a genuine Christ follower, at the very moment that your heart beats for the last time, the very moment you die, you will be instantly, instantly transported into the presence of Almighty God where you will live with him forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. 
That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever believes in me will live even though they die. The moment you die, you won't really die. You will go on living forever in God's presence in heaven. Now, on the flip side of that, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in God, your soul, when you die, the moment you die, instantly your soul will be transported to a place where God isn't present. After all, if you didn't believe in him, why would God force you and drag you to come into his presence? He's not going to do that. He'll let, he'll, so you will, be, you will go to a place where you will be separated from God forever and ever and ever because you didn't believe in him. And the Bible calls that place hell. And to be separated from God is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. You know, you separated from your loved ones, that's pretty bad. To be separated from God, you can't even imagine how horrible that is. Jesus told us, basically, he told us how we could beat death. He told us how we could beat death. It was by believing in him. And this was a game changer. This was by believing in him and we can live forever. And so the final thing that Peter wanted every Christ follower to know who was, in, who was running for their lives from Nero, he wanted them to know that they could have hope in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. We have a living hope because Jesus is alive. So you can write that one down. I have hope because of the resurrection. If Nero killed them, that wouldn't be the end of them. If Nero killed them, they would live forever in heaven. And you know what the good news is? That truth still works today. That truth still applies today. Easter is why Todd Weaver had hope that one day, if anything happened to him, he would be okay, and one day he would see his daughter and his wife again. Easter is why their family has hope today to keep going on amidst all the uncertainties because one day there's a heaven and they can go there and see their dad again. Easter is why in the midst of all your uncertainties, it's why you can have hope again because we have a living hope. Our hope's not dead. Our hope's not fake. And it all gets down, it all boils down to this one final question that Jesus asked at the end of John eleven twenty six. I'll put it up here for you again one, one last time. And he asked this, do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus was God's son? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead? If you do, here's what will happen. First, God will shower his mercy upon you and all your sins will be forgiven. He won't give you what you deserve. Second, you will be born again. You will become a brand new person, a new creation in Christ. Third, God will give you the gift of eternal life, and one day when you die, you won't really die. You will live forever in a place called heaven with him. All this because of the resurrection. All this because of Jesus, we have a living hope who rose from the grave. So, do you believe? Will you believe? I hope you will. Let's close our time in prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, again, I would ask you, this is the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And he is our living hope. He's why we can go on. And if you don't have him in your life, if you've never been born again, you are missing out on the greatest adventure. But you know what? The good thing is you're here today and you can have that living hope right now. All of God's mercy can, can wash over you right now. You can have eternal life right now. 
all you need to do is tell him this. In fact, why don't you pray this? Every one of you pray this in the silence of your own heart. Dear God, I believe in you. I believe Jesus was your son. I believe that he died on a cross and was raised from the dead. Today, I put my faith and my trust in you. I ask that you would extend your mercy to me. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life so that one day, when I take my final breath on earth, I'll be with you. If you will say those things to him right now, God will be merciful to you. You will be born again. You will become a brand new person. And you will have the gift of eternal life. I hope you prayed that prayer. Dear Father, thank you for Easter. What would we do? This is the greatest event in all of history, the game changer, the change for all of us, that we can beat death, that in the midst of uncertainties, we can have a living hope, not a dead hope, not a fake hope or a false hope, but a living hope in Jesus Christ. God, for all of us who declare today that we put our faith in you, that we believe for all of us today who, who have been born again, now help us to leave here and live like it and be the people you want us to be. So thank you, Father. Thank you for Easter. We pray these things in Jesus' name.